Thank you for listening to this Table Church Sermon Podcast. We're starting the new year with a series called All of Life, Following Jesus in All Life's Seasons. Because every aspect of life brings its own unique challenges and questions. For example, how do I find time for God when I've got small children? Or how do I follow Jesus as a single person when the church always seems so concerned with marriage? What does discipleship look like when I'm older? These are just a few of the questions that we're asking, and our prayer is that there would be something for everyone in this series, and that we all will grow to appreciate one another more, no matter what season of life we're in. So I hope you enjoy, and as always, please feel free to reach out to us at tablechurchdsm.org. Today's scripture is 1 Timothy 4, 11 through 14. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Right. Thank you, Caitlin. Well, I want to remind you what Megan talked about a little while ago, that we do have our baptism service coming up next Sunday at 4 o'clock at Westchester E-Free. And I hope you can come. If you haven't been baptized, obviously we'd love to baptize you. We have a couple sign-ups right now, and I'm excited about that. Um, but also, we will have treats. We will be baptizing ice cream in root beer. <laughs> so you don't want to miss that, at the very least. Well, we're in a new series, new year, new series. This series is called All of Life, All of Life, how to follow Jesus through all chapters, all scenarios, all aspects of life. Well, all is a little bit misleading. I'm not going to possibly be able to cover all chapters of life in just four weeks, Uh, but we are going to hit on some pretty big ones. And so each uh, sermon is going to be kind of tailored or geared more towards a particular subset of the congregation, perhaps than others. However, I am convinced that everyone should be able to glean plenty from each sermon. And so today's sermon is called Young and Free, and I'm going to be talking to the young people in the church. Now, what is young? That's the question, isn't it? Well, for the purpose of today, I'm thinking about people like 18 to 30, young, early 30s, or whatever the case may be, something in that range. But I'm sure that there are many of us here who are Older than that are nonetheless young at heart, and so you have plenty to learn here today, too. We're also going to talk about uh, singleness in the church. We're going to talk about those of us in our golden years. I texted uh, our assistant DS, Tim Purcell. Some of you know him. I said, Tim, would you want to preach on the golden years of life? He said, what are you trying to say, Phil? (laughs) I said, Tim, I'm trying to be delicate here, but I believe you'd be great for the job. And he said, of course. So he's going to come preach on that. Uh, we're also going to talk about the kid years. If, if you have kids, um, kid crazy is what that sermon's called. And so I'm looking forward to it. And again, I'm not going to hit all aspects of life necessarily, but I do believe that there will be something for everyone in this sermon series. Now, like I said, we're talking about being young today. Uh, when I graduated from college, I was 22 years old, took a job at a church in South Dakota which felt like the edge of the world and probably sounds that way to many of you as well. Uh, But it was an amazing church. It was a more traditional church and it had a lot of older people in this church, which was really, really beautiful. However, I will say this. 
It was cool being the young guy on staff, but everyone was always freaking out about how young the new pastor was. And eventually it kind of goes to your head. You can only hear somebody say, wow, you're just a kid. The people you're supposed to be leading, you know, so many times before you start to think, well, maybe I, maybe I don't have any business doing this, you know? Like the lead pastor, he was just, he couldn't believe that this is the first hire he had made where he was old enough to be my dad. And he just, I mean, he was struggling with it too, honestly. So I was really young back then. And uh, I'll be honest though, I did have a lot to learn. Whether I wanted to admit it, whether I knew it or not, I did have a lot to learn at that time. Now, here's what maybe one of the main things that I'd like for us to hear today, particularly those of us who are younger, and it's this, youthful zeal combined with the humility to learn is a recipe for an incredible leader. Youthful zeal combined with the humility to learn is the recipe for an incredible leader. I'm not 22 anymore. Maybe 40, a few days. I'm not going to tell you exactly how many days, but it's coming real soon. And here's what I think I've learned. I think we, most of us, we start off with like a high level of passion. We're going to crush this thing. Whatever we've set out to do, we're going to, do, we're going to be amazing at it. We're going, to, we're going to show the world how it's done, you know? That's how I was. And then you have your first failure. And then you make a few more mistakes And then you realize, you know what, it's not quite as easy as I thought. And then you realize, you know what, maybe everybody who came before me wasn't dumb. Maybe it's just really hard. Maybe I don't know as much as I thought I did. And what can happen sometimes is as, as, as as, as you go through life and all the natural things that come with it, that passion can turn into burnout pretty quick. And then you get to my age and you're like, what happened? I thought that... You know, I had all the energy in the world for this, and I don't even know if I want to keep doing it anymore. Like, why does this happen to us? Well, I think the answer, at least is in part, is is I put it like this. I think that every Timothy needs a Paul, and every Paul needs a Timothy. Every Timothy needs a Paul, and every Paul needs a Timothy. I'm going to explain what I mean by that. What I mean is that every young person needs someone older who believes in them, who's going to pour into them and pick them up after they fail. And honestly, every older person needs that person that they're pouring into as well, because that keeps us sharp. That keeps us passionate and energetic. So 1 and 2 Timothy are two letters that we have in the New Testament. They're written by the Apostle Paul, and he's writing them to a young man named Timothy. Timothy had been entrusted as a pastor of a church in Ephesus, and now Paul is writing these letters of encouragement, and they're full of ministry advice. You see, Paul had mentored Timothy, And so he's writing about all sorts of things. They're just treasure troves of kind of practical advice for this young leader. Everything from uh, church governance to conflict resolution, theological instruction, even gives a little bit of medical advice. says, drink a little wine for your upset stomach. So it's like it's all in there for for Timothy. And I think we see two things happening in these letters. Uh, First of all, we see that Paul has entrusted this young man, With a big amount of responsibility. This guy's overseeing a church, one of the early churches. And Paul said, you're my man in Ephesus. Ephesus is a big city. And Paul said, you're my guy there. You're the one that God is going to use. And number two, we see that Paul is also not leaving him there to figure it out on his own. This letter is probably not the only letter that he wrote to Timothy, I would imagine. I always think it's kind of fun to think about all the other letters Paul probably wrote that we don't have. But there were many others, I'm sure. 
that Paul wrote, and we just don't have them anymore. But Paul wrote these letters to Timothy in order to encourage him. And so there's this balance of trust and mentorship that's happening. And that's the ideal space for any young leader to thrive in. Now, when I read 1 Timothy, my sense is that Timothy is facing some real challenges here. Paul is encouraging him through a very difficult season. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 4, he's going to refer to Timothy's tears. Like he's cried over the, the ministry and the leadership that he's having, the responsibilities and the challenges that he's facing. Uh, Paul will name specific conflicts throughout these letters. He'll talk about how Timothy's young age is a stumbling block for those in the congregation. And let's remember, this is a very much of an honor-driven culture. We live in kind of a youth-centric culture today. Like, we kind of worship youthfulness today. They didn't do that back then. They honored the elderly, which I wish we could balance things out a little bit more in our culture with that. But that meant that for Timothy, as a young person, he was facing probably even more hurdles than what we would imagine a young leader facing today. And so he's going through some stuff that I imagine had him overwhelmed, and then he receives this letter from Paul that I'm sure came as a very welcome thing. And for that reason, this letter has a lot to teach those of us who are young. And for today, I think that probably the main thing it's going to show us is this. If you're young, the time to start being a spiritual leader is now. If you're young, the time to start being a spiritual leader is now. Don't take a passive approach to life. One day you'll be older. It's going to happen really fast. I promise you. Nobody's ever been like, wow, life is just so slow. No, it flies by. But you'll only be wiser if you dig in now. Pursue God in these years. And so here's three things that I think Timothy has to say to those of us who are younger. Obviously, it can say it to all of us too. But he's writing this to a young leader specifically. And the first one is this. He's telling him to have convictions. Have convictions. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. So he's basically telling Timothy to know what he believes and why. Like, read the scriptures, read them well, read them a lot, know them well, know where you stand. Go with what God has revealed in scripture. Don't be cast about by the ways of culture and the winds of change. Stand for something good. Dig into scripture now so that the wisdom that they have will be available to you one day when you need it most. Before Natalie and I got married, when we were dating or engaged, you know, it, it was pretty clear for us early on that we were going to be in ministry together. That was just evidently the, the trajectory of our relationship. If we're going to be together, that's what we're going to be doing. It was clear. In fact, probably our biggest conflict early on was Natalie was trying to discern if she was going to go overseas as a missionary or not. And it was going to be like, well, what does that, what does that do to our relationship? We don't know. You know, that's crazy. And so that was one of our biggest conflicts early on. But whatever the case, we knew that if we're together, we're going to be in ministry together. Now, I need to give a caveat here. Um, I don't want you to think that I'm saying that doing what I do is the only way to do it. That vocational full-time ministry is the uh, ultimate end for everybody. That, in fact, I'm going to say the, the opposite is what I want, really want to emphasize. 
that God needs to raise up not more of me, but more of you, <laughs> more people in the workplace or in you know, schools or whatever the case, whatever it is that you're doing who are living for God in your context. It just happens to be that my examples have to do with pastoral ministry, you know. And so I'm going to say this a number of times. If God's calling someone to vocational ministry, awesome. I, that's incredible. I'd love to talk to you more about that. But I want you to understand that God is calling you to ministry no matter what your job is. Your job is rather irrelevant to that question, in fact. And so God is calling you to ministry, but it doesn't have to look like local church full-time pastoral ministry or something like that. But anyway, we graduated from college. We moved to South Dakota, like we said. And uh, then we, we, we were there for, a couple, for three years at this church. And then when we were 25, we left that church. We left a full-time, uh, well-paying job in the ministry to go plant a new church. We joined a church plant team. And that church sent us out. And you know what? That church plant didn't pay me a salary. Natalie was a kindergarten teacher at a private Christian school in South Dakota. I think at the time was the second worst paying state for teachers in the union. And private schools paid even less. <laughs> and so we didn't have a lot of money. The church plant paid for my health insurance, but I worked at a music store in order to, you know, make ends meet a little bit more. But let me just tell you, the decisions that we made to be absolutely sold out for God's purposes set us on a trajectory in life that's been amazing. We've gotten to do so much cool stuff for the Lord. We've gotten to see God do so many cool things in our marriage. We're not chasing paychecks. I, I don't know. I could probably make more money. I'm not, I'm not paid bad here, but I could probably make more money if that was what I wanted to do, if, if chasing a paycheck was what I was about. But we decided we want to build our lives on something that lasts. We want to pour ourselves into something that matters, take a stand, have convictions, and to, to make a difference in the world. Now, I'm not saying, again, you don't have to become a pastor. You don't have to go plant a church. You can do that wherever you are. You just have to decide, I want to orient my life towards God's mission, whatever that is in my particular context. I want to give myself to something that transcends my paycheck. So decide now that your life is going to be a ministry to others, not just to yourself. Look, we all have people in our lives who do this really well, people who, who maybe work in the corporate world or where, wherever, and, and they are just doing ministry in their context. I, you know, I could name any number of people in this church. Kevin and Kelly Andrews aren't here today, I don't think, so I'm going to pick on them. Like anybody who knows them, like they... You see them in the hallway. You know that that person that they they shine the light of Jesus everywhere they go. They're involved in F FCA, you know, in their school. Like they just are a wonderful example of somebody doing ministry. They're on mission in their context, and I think it's awesome. We got so many people like that, and that's what you should do: orient your life in that sort of way. Now, like I said earlier, when we were 25, we joined a church plant team. It was an absolute blast. We um, were young, so we had the flexibility to give ourselves to it, to watch it grow. And now there's this really healthy church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, that I got to be a part of starting, which is sweet. And now that church is starting other churches. And guess what? We're one of those churches. Like, there's 11 other churches that exist now because a group of people decided to be faithful to God uh, 12, oh, no, it's more than that, 15 years ago. Wow, that's cool. By the way, that needs to be us someday, Table Church. We need to be the ones sending, planting new churches one day. Sooner than later, I hope. How cool would it be if a cohort of young people, cohort of 20-somethings, 
Table Church came along and said, you know what? We're going to do it. We're going to go start a new expression of the gospel somewhere else that needs to hear about Jesus. We need to do it. We're going to do it. We're praying for it. One day it's going to happen. So orient your life around a kingdom mission now, and instead of a midlife crisis, you're going to have midlife purpose. You're not going to feel like you wasted anything. The second thing I think Timothy, or Paul's writing to Timothy is this. He's telling him to develop grit. Develop grit. <laughs> Just got a text from Kelly. <laughs> Here's what Paul says. He says in 2 Timothy 1, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He says, join me in suffering. How would you like that if I did that? If I, that, that was my pitch. Hey, guys, I'm planting a church in Des Moines. Come, join me in suffering. How would that go? That's what Paul's doing to Timothy. He said, hey, there's something so much bigger than our comfort going on here. You want in or you want out? And he's saying it's worth it. Don't be afraid of suffering. This calling that you have is going to take its toll. There's going to be ups and downs, but it's worth it, he says. Listen, some of the biggest regrets in my life are where I wish I'd had a little more grit. You know what grit is? It's just the ability to persevere through difficult things. To be so captured by the mission that, you know what, my personal comfort in this moment is secondary to the success of the mission. There's a movie, kind of old now, but The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise. You know, uh, I didn't go back and watch the scene, but just as I was writing this about grit, it kind of triggered this scene in my memory. There's, I think it's towards the beginning. It may even be the opening scene. Uh, Tom Cruise, he's like an American military officer from like the Civil War era, and he's, he's fighting some Japanese warriors and just getting whooped. I mean, he's just fighting-wise, he's got absolutely uh, no chance here. Um, but it's the scene is this juxtaposition between two cultures. You got the American, and then you got these Japanese warriors. And in in their culture, the honorable thing to do is if the enemy has defeated you, you take your own life before they can take yours. You don't want to die by the hand of your enemy. Tom Cruise, however, he just keeps getting up and fighting over and over, and they keep knocking him down. He keeps getting up. He, they knock him down again. He keeps getting up, and they're they, they're like, "What's wrong with this guy? Like, what is he knows he's defeated, right? They even give him an opportunity." to like do the honorable thing here. He doesn't do it. They're just like, what is happening? But over time, he wins their respect through his grit. Here's the fact. Fully surrendered followers of Jesus are going to require more grit in the future. The social benefits of being a Christian are not going to increase over the coming decades. Pretty sure about that. It's not going to be the kind of thing where like, Culturally, we still have this kind of Christian language, Christian you know, principles and stuff. Like that's just going to get less and less and less over time. But you know what? That space right there, that's where like the Holy Spirit comes alive. That's where we often see God do some pretty cool things. Like in the scenarios where we actually need God, where we actually have to exercise faith, that's often where God does his most magnificent things in our lives. And so I don't lament that reality for the church because I believe that God's going to use it to purify his church, and I think he probably already is. 
Now, I've told this story before. Um, the, the first church that I worked at, like, they hired me, brought me on, and the first, one of the first things they told me to do is, like, you're in charge of starting a new service that's going to attract younger people. Now, that language right there should probably send off alarm bells. Because before you can attract somebody, you got to serve them. And churches often get that backwards, you know. But anyway, you're going you're gonna to make service, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to attract younger people. And so I, I spent six months working real hard to design the service. It was cool. I mean, we had a contemporary worship team. It, it wasn't in the sanctuary. It was in the youth room. We had sat around tables, and we had a meal, and we had discussion, all the things that the millennials supposedly wanted. And, um, you know, it, I want, it's, it wasn't an epic failure. Uh, it was more of a slow, torturous death. <laughs> they started out real strong, and then just slowly dwindled over time down to almost nothing. And eventually the board had to put a bullet in the thing, and it was done. It was over. And I remember the board member calling it a failure and just, ah, man, wow. Yeah, that, I suppose, I mean, we can try to, you know, paper over it as much as we want, but I guess that's what it is, right? We tried it, it didn't work. Then it kind of stung. Now, the thing that followers of Jesus have that others don't is the knowledge that God can use hardships for good, that God can redeem things like that that are difficult. Paul says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, I've got a lot to learn about grit. My inclination is to become like Eeyore, you know, it's like, mm, guess it's not going to work out. Like, that's where I go sometimes. God's got a lot to teach me about it. But I do think that I've lived enough to see that God can redeem those difficult times. You know what? The church you're attending is proof of that. Didn't quit ministry. God has used that experience to make me better at what I do. Listen, the key to grit is to be absolutely captured by the mission you live for. Like it has to matter more to you than your personal comfort in the moment. It has to matter more to you than your personal individual success. You have to be captured by the mission that God has called you to. You got to believe in something and it must... It must be more than comfort and pleasure. The people that make the biggest impact in the world are the people that are captured by a cause bigger than them. Which leads me to my last point. Number three, it's this. Find your something more. Find your something more. What's your something more? Since I got into pastoral ministry, there's been a huge shift in my field. I, for a number of years, sat on the ordination board on our district. And so what we did is we would interview candidates who wanted to be ordained. Now, to be ordained is a long process. You have to get education. You have to um, do supervised ministry. You uh, have to go through a yearly interview that culminates in a big interview at the end. Um, and only if you get through all of that will they say, okay, yes, we're going to lay hands on you and ordain you. And that means that you're a reverend now. And so I sat on this, this board for, I don't know, maybe like 10 years uh, that we would seek candidates for ordination. And over the course of those years, I saw a major shift in the kind of candidate that we were interviewing. Uh, less and less was it the traditional college graduate, just got out of Bible school, just got out of seminary, you know, that's kind of the traditional way to do it. More and more, in fact, by the time I was done, I'd say over half of the people that we were interviewing for ordination 
were people that were like my age and older. Many of them, I can think of at least two people who like owned a successful construction company and just got to a place in life where they realized, what's my something more? This isn't it. This, I'm just making a bunch of money. This isn't doing it for me anymore. I want something with purpose and something with meaning. And again, this doesn't mean that you have to sell your company and go become a pastor. But for them, that's what, that's what it was. And so we saw a lot of people who were at that stage in life who said, you know what? I need more than this. I'm going to give my life to something that matters. By the way, your calling, your mission doesn't have to be some exotic thing. Raising, leading your family, raising your family well, being faithful to your spouse and being a witness for the Lord in your community. Like that, that is what we're called to. That's what we should be passionate about over and above anything else. I don't know the statistics, but over time we saw more and more of, of that kind of person come through the ordination process because people were hungry for their something more. And just a paycheck every two weeks wasn't enough. That's not going to satisfy our hearts. We're made for something. We're made to do something bigger than ourselves. Now, if you're young, the time to start being a spiritual leader is now. That's what we learned from Timothy. The time to make disciples is now. The time to serve your church is now. The stats say that young people are exiting the church at an unprecedented rate. I shared this recently, but the, stat, the stats say that in the last 25 years, more young people have left the church than people joined the church in the first great awakening, the second great awakening, and the Billy Graham crusades combined in the last 25 years. The church in North America is absolutely hemorrhaging people. Don't be a statistic. Reverse the trend. Don't hold the church at arm's length. Dig in. We need young people in our leadership. We need young people coming along and saying, look, how can I serve? How can I help? I want to plant myself here and make this my life's trajectory. And so I want you to know, the church needs you. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Anchor your life in the kingdom of God. Stand for truth. Decide now to make your life matter. Find your something more. We're going to do something a little different this morning. I'm going to invite a couple young ladies on stage who I think are doing this very thing that I've talked about, finding there's something more. So Jess and Caitlin, come on up here and join me. And they're going to share a little bit about what God is calling them to because it's kind of unique. As many of you know, we have a sister church in Choma, Zambia called Poetis, and we take a yearly trip there. We're taking another trip coming up. Um, uh, we call it a missions retreat. Um, we're co it's coming up in the end of July. If you'd like more information on that, let us know on your connection card, and Taryn Obink will be in touch with you. Uh, but we'd love to have you come. It's an absolutely transformative experience. And just be careful, because you might end up going back, right? <laughs> forever. Yeah, forever. <laughs> uh, so Jess and Caitlin um, were on the team that went this last summer. We had an amazing trip. God did a lot of stuff, not just in their hearts and everybody's hearts. Um, and so I want to invite them to share a little bit about what God is doing in their hearts now and how they're actually going to be, they're going to be leaving us for at least a little while. We're sending them out. I very much see this as kind of like us sending missionaries to the field. And so I want you to hear about what God's doing. So Jess, we're going to start with you. What's going on? What are you going to be doing here? <laughs> so um, I am going to be moving to Choma for six months and possibly forever. 
like I said, you might go forever once you go to Choma. Be careful. <laughs> Be careful. Um, the fun thing is that before I went, I was in a season of kind of, um, I went to Love Choma in July last year. And um, before I went, I was kind of in a dull season with God, but I was seeking him and I wanted more. Um, I was teaching ESL. I still am teaching. Um, and I was just kind of like curious about Africa. But when I went, it was life changing. Um, and I met Jesus there in a way that I hadn't before. And he answered my prayer. He, he gave me the passion that I was looking for and the purpose. And I definitely felt a deeper calling to go back to Africa for the intensive training, which Poetis puts on there for six weeks. And then for the extensive, which continues on into six months, um, just to learn more about him, learn how I can serve him, and also look to maybe, possibly, hopefully, live in Zambia longer term. So to be clear, they have these two programs. One's called the Intensive, and that's six weeks in the summer. And that's where you go and you basically get missions training and discipleship training. And then they have the Extensive, which is six months, and that's essentially their onboarding to potentially a, a staff person who's staying there for long term. So you're doing both. Caitlin, you're doing the Intensive. Talk to me about what God did in your heart to say, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, so I'll just be there for the six weeks for that training. And... It was interesting because before I actually went on the Love Choma trip in July, I had already applied for the intensive. I was like, you know, it doesn't hurt. I'm not committing by signing their little information form thing, which I think guys on their website, if you sign up for this, it says it's like, get more information. You're signing up for an interview. Um, they, they probably should change <laughs> they didn't that didn't tell language. you that part, huh? <laughs> um, they don't okay. say that. And so I was like, yeah, I'll get more information about this. Doesn't hurt. And then I'm there, and they're like, so we want to interview you for this. And I was like, oh, okay. So I was there in Zambia, and I'm like, I know God has something for me this next summer. I know that I need to be digging in and doing more, but I don't necessarily know what that next step is. So I was like, yeah, I'll go learn more about this. And then um, I was actually here, and we had Taryn as one of the prayer team members up here. And I went and got prayer, and I was there, and it was like I had been going, is this the next step? Is this what I need to be doing? And in that moment, praying with Taryn, it was like, take the next step. Just continue moving forward and that God will shut the door if it's not what I'm meant to be doing, but continue moving forward and that continue pursuing that and he'll guide me. Mm -hmm. So what did God do? And I want you each to answer this question. What did God do in your heart while you were in Zambia to kind of indicate to you, yeah, this is what I need to do? Um, like I said, dull season beforehand, but specifically like how he spoke to me was through the community there and through prayer and also through like the people of Africa, the way that Jesus came and talked to me personally through other people was like I'd never experienced here. And the spark and fire and passion that everyone um, possessed when they were there and like the joy of the Lord was evident and it just was like addictive. I was like, yeah, give me more, give me more. <laughs> Good drugs. Um, <laughs> and so <laughs> I just really felt seen on a level that I've always wanted from my family and from my friends and like of course table church, like I feel that now, but I didn't know that that's what I needed until I went to Zambia. Um, and so it made me want to be that for other people, kind of like Phil was saying, like we can be the disciplers now or the spiritual leaders now. And so by making me feel seen and making me feel like I really was his daughter, Jesus was like, you can do these things and like you can love others. And I felt called to do it in Zambia. Yeah, so the May prior to going, I kind of experienced what Phil has described to me as what a second word of grace where I really... 
I've grown up in the church. I know Jesus, but I didn't like really know him personally. And so I was going there with all of these like preconceived ideas of things that I'm like, okay, like sure, I know this happens in my head, but like I don't really know that in my skin. I don't really fully believe that. And so I just kind of had, I've described it as, like, I've got this box of just all these things, like, this doesn't make sense, so it doesn't happen in my life. Maybe it happens for other people, but not really for me. That doesn't make sense either. That doesn't make sense. Okay, all these things. I believe God is powerful. I can believe he can do anything. But, like, not really living that way. Then I go to Zambia. It's like, God's like this magician, just pulling all the scarves out of the box, out of the hat, like, this happens, and this happens, and all these things that I didn't even think were possible. I'm just seeing, and I'm seeing God work in ways that I like could have never imagined. And so just through that journey of like May to July, and then even now through college and things, just seeing how God works and like how amazing he is and that he is not bound to any ideas that I have about him in my head. And that was really one thing, like I would say that's probably like my main takeaway from my time in Zambia. There's so much more I could talk to you about, but that's like, the main thing I think of just seeing how big our God is. Yeah. Um, talk to us a little bit about the financial goals you have. You're both raising money right now. So just let us know kind of where you're at and, and what you're hoping to accomplish. Yeah. So the first thing coming up is we have um, the plane ticket cost, which for me, I believe is 2,400. Uh, and that's early February. And then I have another 2,500 that I will need by March 15th. So I'm just continuing to pray for those goals to be met, and I would ask you to pray with me for that as well. Um, but we have fundraising pages through Poetis. Yeah, for me it's a little bit more extensive because I'm going on the extensive. Um, <laughs> it's about 8,000 and then 499, I think. <laughs> um, and I'm the same, February 15th is for the airfare and then March 15th is when it's all due. Um, and I would also ask that you prayerfully just pray for us and consider um, just thinking about us while we're on the trip, go to the prayer room and um, yeah, be bold in your prayers for what could happen in Zambia and happen in our hearts while we're training and also just experiencing that. And um, for me, since I'm looking for a longer term, like pray on your heart if you want to partner with me in that, in prayer, but also financially when I do come back, because I think I'll probably end up being there longer term, so. Yeah, so they, they'll have, um links that we can go to and I'll send this out tomorrow morning in an email to the whole church. We can click on their links in order to donate um, to help them raise the funds that they need. Uh, but what I'm excited about here is that these two young ladies have been coming to Table Church and have experienced the ministries of Table Church and now God has done something in their hearts and we get to send them out as missionaries. And so I definitely see us as a sending church and, and uh, we want to support you ladies in every way that we can through prayer and through finances. And so um, I'm sure you could come talk to them after church and they will be happy to point you in the right direction as well. But I just want you to know that I am going to send that out tomorrow. So maybe you can be thinking and praying about what that might look like for you in order for us to help them get to their goal. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, ladies. You. you did great. Yeah. Good work. Thank you. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we ask that right now you would make Table Church, what we just experienced here, I ask that you would do more. Lord, I pray over Jess and Caitlin. 
We extend our hearts to them. We ask that you would protect them and cover them. Lord, that you'd bring all the dollars that they need. Money is nothing to you, Lord. And so we ask that you would bring it in a timely fashion. But more importantly, God, I ask that you would help them to live out the calling you have on their life. And I pray that not only for them, but for everybody here. Well, I pray for the young people, some of them who maybe are wondering, what's next? What's life look like? What do I got to do? Lord, help them to know what you're calling them to, what there's something more is, I pray. Use Table Church in this, I ask. Continue to move in our, move in our midst, in our presence, and uh, continue to forge us into the church that you want us to be, we ask. We love you, Jesus, in your name.